0: Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, editor-at-large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Recently, we sat down with Daniel Jose Older, author of the Shadow Shaper series, he said that it wasn't until he discovered the work of Juno Diaz as an adult that he saw himself represented in literature in a meaningful way. Daniel is not alone in feeling underrepresented. The We Need Diverse Books movement has generated important and often challenging conversations in the publishing industry. It is based on the fundamental idea. That all children must see themselves represented in the books they read, and not just as sidekicks or villains, but as three dimensional heroes. At Scholastic, we're proud to publish authors of different backgrounds, cultures, races, abilities, and orientations. But we also know that many of our authors have stories like Daniel's. Like him, Many felt that they didn't exist in children's books when they were growing up. And like him, they are now writing to change that for future generations. We invited them to share their stories. Here are a few, starting with Daniel's. When was the first time you saw yourself represented in literature, and what did it mean to you?
1: Mm. There were probably smaller ones, but it was really... When I read, you know, I think The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde was really a a revelation to read. And that was obviously later. So I'm sure there were other moments. You know, I could probably find some in my childhood. But at that point, you know, I was just really thinking about it already in a very concrete and analytical way. And so to read this, you know, nerdy Latino character with so many references just from... Lord of the Rings stuff to Star Wars to Orisha, you know, Caribbean spirituality and all this stuff, like, what? <laughs> how is this possible? And the voice, just so much about that novel, it really is just perfect. And I loved it. And then, you know, so I, that led me to just read more widely and realize that this was, you know, we were out there in different ways in literature and sci-fi and fantasy, just across the board. And it, it was a really revelatory moment for sure.
0: Why do you think it's so important that children see themselves in the books they read?
1: Um, mostly because a lot of us weren't able to, you know, they're, because of that long history of erasure and of demonization and of turning black and brown kids into either clowns or doomed sidekicks or bad guys. You know, that's all that we had. So we would have to practice this radical act of translation where we would either take the white character and pretend that, that, we, that we, we were like them or they were like us on some level, which is a very damaging process for a child to go through. I think one that we haven't fully grasped in a way. Because you can't really study it. You, know, you can't really put a, a number or an equation behind like what that does to a psyche of someone young and, and, and growing up when they don't get to see themselves as a protagonist. you know. When I look at it, to me, it's a, it's a huge human rights violation to deny an entire generation of young people of color, generation after generation of young people of color, the right to see ourselves as protagonists in stories. How else are we to conceptualize ourselves as protagonists in our own lives if not through the stories that we're told? So I'm so happy that it's happening now. But we also have to reconcile with what the past has done and what it's meant and who's been a part of it.
0: How do you hope that your work will fill a gap for young readers who don't always see themselves in literature? And and how do you want to inspire them?
1: Exactly that. I want people to read books like Shadow Shaper and see that not only, like, can we be heroes, but that there are so many different faces of who we are, that we are complex humans, you know. It's not just about having, like, these perfect good guys who are flawless. You know, it doesn't really do us any good. Just like when we talk about representation of women or non-men at all, what that means to just have these kind of, oh, well, there we always used to make them seem helpless. So now we're going to have them really, really hardcore and, like, be able to beat up everybody and do whatever they want. And, like, you're still not creating a human character, right? So it's about do we have a multiplicity of of who we are on the page, not Mm -hmm. just the one to rule them all and not just the one who's a bad guy, but all the different ones in between and all the different layers of who each of those people are. That's what I hope people walk away with.
2: My name is Wendy Shang, and my latest book is This Is Just a Test, co-authored with Madeline Rosenberg. The first time I saw myself in a book was in Judy Bloom's Blubber, and I remember it quite well. Tracy Wu was the best friend of the main character, and she was very much like me, living in modern day and just kind of living a regular life. And up until then, the only representations of Asian people I had seen were basically in kung fu movies and in Star Trek, and it was really gratifying to see myself like that. I think it's important for children to see themselves in literature because that visibility conveys a message. And what that message is, is that you matter. If you flip it on its head, when we don't represent someone, we're saying that they're not worthy of being visible. And so when children can see themselves, we are telling them, that you matter, and not only that, but that you matter just because of who you are. I hope my stories inspire young readers to see themselves as the heroes of their own stories and that they don't have to pigeonhole themselves into any particular identity. I hope that the breadth of my work enables them to say that they can pursue whatever makes them feel most in love and engaged with the world.
3: I'm Billy Merrill, author of Vanilla and Talking in the Dark. I was a teenager when I came out as gay, to myself, to my friends, and to my family, in that order. I remember feeling alone inside the idea, in part because I wasn't yet sexual when being gay was made to seem entirely about sex. It was the late 90s, and there were occasional depictions of queer characters in movies or on TV, but none of them were as subtle as I felt I needed to be growing up in the South. I saw those characters in myself, partially, but I didn't see myself in them. I couldn't imagine myself as a gay person, though I knew I was, and so I felt utterly alone. Shortly after I came out to friends, though, a writing teacher passed me what I thought was a short story by a poet named Mark Doty. Turns out it was a long excerpt, a full chapter, from one of his memoirs. Firebird. My teacher told me the writer would be visiting our school and that I was going to get to meet him. Without saying why, she told me she thought I would really like his work, and so I took her recommendation seriously. I remember everything about that afternoon when I first read Dodie's chapter about Mikey. I realized the writer was gay and felt an immediate kinship with him but it was what Dodie wrote that solidified that bond. He talked about growing up gay and the friends he had who never quite understood him. One he described as all boy, who ran around obsessed with rockets. And though Dodie's childhood was in the fifties, 30 years before mine, I had been friends with all boys too and knew exactly what Dodie was talking about. I knew it deep in my gut, like a secret. I felt like I understood him in a way those friends of his hadn't, and miraculously, understanding him felt very much like being understood myself. I didn't need Mark Doty's writing to be comfortable with myself, but it helped. I carried Doty's book around like a flag I was waving. Being gay wasn't only about sexuality anymore. It was about sensitivity to life, celebration, community. The more I read by Doty, the more I saw a fully fleshed out life. One I would feel blessed to live. When I was 19 or 20, I wrote a poem about my literary first loves. It's called Canon and was later published in my coming-of-age memoir, Talking in the Dark. In a sense, it answers this question better than I could. Canon. Of course it gets easier, but there is still that occasional panic. Hungry or even starved for history, that sense of belonging. You do a frantic search at the library. Keywords, gay or homosexual and poetry or writer, and the screen distills the canon. You pace by the aisle until it's empty, read that anthology in a safe corner embarrassed by the cover, though there's really nothing threatening about it. And then there are those first loves. Auden, Doty, Whitman. They say, here is the world, here. It's yours, and it's all right. So you want to check it out, even stand in line while your palms sweat against the laminate. Before you figure out, you have $5.30, which is just enough to photocopy the better third, So you step out of line, hurry frantically, until 53 pages of their world are yours.
4: Hi, my name is Cody Keplinger, and I am the author of several books for middle grade and YA readers, including Run and The Swift Boys and Me. If I'm being honest, I don't know that I ever did find a reflection of myself in fiction, I looked for it when I was younger, but all of the blind characters I encountered were either victims or villains. Those rare few who got to be heroes often had abilities that essentially negated their disability. And when I did find really actually very good representation of blindness, it was always complete blindness. Um, So the characters saw absolutely nothing, which in reality only reflects about 10% of the population of the blind community. Most legally blind or blind people have some remaining vision, and it varies um, how much throughout. And I'm one of those people. So I never found a character that reflected my experience with blindness. And honestly, this is why I wrote Run. I wanted to write a book that my 15-year-old self would have loved. And while the main character um, in the book that is visually impaired, is very different from me in other ways, I think her experiences with blindness would have really resonated with me as a teenager. Though I never found that reflection of myself, I do think it's important that we allow other kids and teenagers to have this experience. When I look back on the stories that I loved growing up, they were often fantasy stories or stories with romance. And the protagonists in them, um, the women, were typically straight and thin and able-bodied. And as a queer, chubby, blind girl, I didn't feel like I got to be the hero in these stories. I didn't get to be the girl who saved the world in a fantasy story. I didn't get to be um, a character in a romance, if that makes sense. And, of course, I could tell the difference between reality and fiction, don't get me wrong, But at the same time, I do think that not seeing myself in these kind of roles in fiction contributed to some of my internalized ableism, which is something I don't think I fully understood until much later and didn't start unpacking until the last few years.
5: Hi, my name is Lamar Giles, and I'm the author of Overturned. I was fairly old the first time I remember seeing myself represented in literature, And I believe the book was Fallen Angels by Walter Dean Myers. I was probably in my late teens. And it's not that obviously Walter Dean Myers existed before I was a teenager and he was writing books for many, many years. I just didn't know about him. No one told me. Despite the trips to my library weekly, I did not know that this man existed and that his work existed. So coming across Fallen Angels, it felt almost life changing. Because to that point, I knew I I I sort of wanted to be a writer, but I didn't think they allowed you to publish books about young black guys. And seeing that Walter Dean Myers' career was all about expressing that sort of experience, let me know that maybe I might be allowed to do something similar. I think it's important for children to see themselves in the books they read because, frankly, it's long overdue. I know what it's like to grow up and see every book, every movie, every TV show be about somebody you're not. It's a harsh way to live, particularly if you have a creative mind. But I think across the board, whatever your vocation may end up being, you could be in the math, mm-hmm. science, history, the idea that in any of those subjects, you tend not to be represented whether it's in novels, nonfiction, textbooks, movies and TV, is painful. And I think this new generation of children won't have to deal with that because there has been so many strides in making sure that everybody's included, whether it's about your race or your gender, sexual orientation, religion, level of ability, the fact that children can now see themselves Represented and not only represented, see authors fighting for them to make sure there's more representation. I think it's going to produce readers who don't have to feel the pain that me and my peers felt growing up. I know my work fills the gap of representing young black heroes. I always say I write superheroes without superpowers. These are super talented kids that use whatever skill they have to help others. I know that that's something I didn't see. So automatically, I know if there's any young Lamar Giles analogs out there, they're getting an experience they may not get otherwise. And you don't have to be like me to enjoy these books. I always say I grew up enjoying things that weren't about people like me. And so I think it's important that readers who aren't like me still understand there's entertainment value here and of course for the readers who are like me I hope they walk away with a thrilling experience that exhilarates them and particularly if they're young writers the way I was they see what Walter Dean Myers showed me and that's a viable path to a career where you get to be your authentic self
2: Hi, my name is Sarah Moon, and I wrote the
6: book Sparrow. The first time that I saw myself would have been Harriet the Spy. Um, she and I were both picky eaters who preferred hoodies to dresses and couldn't stop writing and had some social difficulty. Um, what's sad is that that's probably the last time I saw myself in a book until I was old enough to read adult books, or, well, not at all old enough, but old tall enough to reach the shelf that they were on. I was a little butch kid, not a tomboy. Um, And I stopped reading books that had humans in them after Harriet because I knew that there wouldn't be any humans like me. I didn't see myself again until seventh grade oddly of all places in the color purple it wasn't me it was very far from me but Seely and shug's love rocked me to my core there's an audre lord quote says that poetry is the name we give name to the nameless so that it can be thought and for me color the color purple was exactly that poetry the next year I found Dykes to Watch Out For by Alison Bechtel, and I'm pretty sure that that saved my life. I never went a day of high school without a copy of Dykes to Watch Out For in my bag. I should also mention Am I Blue, which is an amazing collection of short stories on queer themes. It ended up in my room somehow in eighth grade, uh, thanks mom, and I read it over and over and over again. It was an unbelievably brave book to publish at that time and those writers who took that risk are my heroes. I think that it's important for children to see themselves in the books they read because while The Color Purple is a great book and to call it formative for me as a writer or as a person is to drastically understate its impact, I don't actually think that it's great reading material for a 12-year-old. And Dykes to Watch Out For gave me a very clear message. If I could survive for the next 15 years, I would have a very good chance at a happy life with good friends and maybe a girlfriend. And the hope that that gave me is hard for me to express the hope of a happy adulthood. But I wasn't an adult, I was a kid, and the lack of representation in literature for young people sent me one single message, which was that I wasn't supposed to exist. Thank goodness for Am I Blue and for the very brave Marion Dane Bower who brought it into existence. There are lots of different kinds of people in my writing because there are lots of different kinds of people in the world, but you wouldn't always know that from your classroom or your neighborhood or your TV. And I hope that my work makes kids feel like they exist. And if it doesn't, I hope that at the very least it inspires them to get out into the world and find the thing that makes you feel as solid on the ground as Sparrow does with a base in her hand.
7: Hi, my name is Goldie Moldovsky and I am the author of No Good Deed, So maybe this is because I wasn't exactly an avid reader as a young kid, but I didn't see myself represented in literature until adulthood, until like literally last year when I was reading books like The Sun is Also a Star by Nicola Yoon, um, which has an undocumented immigrant as the protagonist. And then um, Anna Breslau's, Scarlett Epstein hates it here, where the protagonist is both Jewish and Latina, which I thought was really cool, because I'm Jewish and Latina. And then I just heard of Matthew Roth's um, Nevermind the Goldbergs, which features an Orthodox Jewish um, protagonist. And I thought that was really cool that that was out there in the world. Um, What did it mean to see myself there, finally, after all this time? It just, it makes you take a step back and go like, whoa, this exists. There's a record of this. I exist.
8: My name is Marion Johnson. I'm the author of The Great Green Heist and To Catch a Cheat. I've also written books in the Spirit Animals Follow the Beast series. And my newest novel, The Parker Inheritance, will be coming out in the spring of 2018. I first remember seeing myself uh, in literature when I was... Probably in fifth or sixth grade, when I discovered books by Walter D. Myers and Virginia Hamilton. Uh, specifically, I remember reading um, *Motan and Didi* by the late great Walter D. Myers, and being amazed because the book featured kids that looked like me—kids uh, like me and my friends, kids that liked to play basketball, uh, kids with brown skin—and um, what was more. Important or or at least just as important was that not only did the book feature kids that looked like me, uh, but the book was written by someone that looked like me. Um, and for me, that changed everything for for me being a kid who thought he wanted to be a writer, but not thinking he could be a writer because he didn't know anyone else like him who wrote. Um, so now thinking, okay, well, if someone like Walter A Myers. Someone who looked like me—if he could write books, maybe I can too. Uh, and again, that's what put me on the trajectory of um, really wanting and trying to be a writer. And that's why I think it's so important for children to see themselves in the books that they read. We deserve to see ourselves as the as the hero in a story. We deserve to see ourselves being able to do all these amazing things, being able to triumph over whatever is before us. If you see that enough times in literature where you get to be the star of the story, where you get to be successful, that begins to affect you in the real life as well. You begin to be more confident. You begin to think that you can do anything. It translates from the written world into the real world. And that's what I hope that my work will be able to do. I hope that when a kid reads a book like The Great Green Heist, that they see that they could be the star, the main character in their narrative, not just a sidekick. I also hope that uh, if they read by books that they see that they can be a true three-dimensional character. I get many notes from, from readers who have read The Great Green Heist or The Catch a Cheat and they love Megan or Gabby because... These are girls that love all these multiple things. You know, Megan loves being a cheerleader, but she also loves being president of the science club. And, you know, she can speak Klingon. She has all these parts of her that makes her who she is. It's not that she's just lumped into she's the pretty one or the smart one. Uh, And I hope readers can see that as well, too, that they can be all of these things. They can have all these different parts of themselves actualized in books and in real life.
9: Hi, I'm Angela Cervantes, author of Alley First at Last, and me, Frida, and The Secret of the Peacock Ring. The first time I saw myself represented in literature was when I was in college. I had found a book called The Latin Deli by Judith Ortiz Cofer, and then later came across Sandra Cisneros' The House on Mango Street. I remember when I found those two books, I didn't want to do anything else but read them. Then when I had finished them, I remember wanting to shout at from The Highest Fountain, that these two books were amazing and everyone should read them. It felt so good to find myself or characters that were like the friends I grew up with in these books. It, It really changed me. It's important that children see themselves in books they read because I remember how it made me feel and actually I was a little bit resentful that girls like me weren't in the books that I was reading. The invisibility made me wonder, do the book people, that's what I used to call publishers and librarians back then, do they not see us? Do they think we don't matter or that our stories aren't important? Currently, I have three books out that feature Mexican-American or Latina protagonists narrating their own stories, being the heroes of their own lives. And I'm thrilled that my work is filling that gap and hopefully inspiring a new generation of readers and writers.
10: Hi, my name is Bill Konigsberg, and I'm the author of Openly Straight, Honestly Ben, The Porcupine of Truth, and the forthcoming The Music of What Happens. The first time I saw an LGBT person represented in literature was when I read Edmund White's A Boy's Own Story. And that was terribly important to me. Uh, But really, the first time I felt like I saw me in literature was when I read Tales of the City by Armistead Maupin. And when I say that I saw myself, I mean that I saw my own heart. I felt like a person who shared My sensibility and sensitivity and understanding of the world had been created in a book, and that was a real revelation to me. In some ways, it meant that I existed, and frankly, before that, I wasn't so sure. I felt so misunderstood, and that's... That's why I think it's so important that children see themselves in the books they read. I think kids need to feel understood, and that's why it means so much to me when a young person sends me an email that tells me that they were Rafe from Openly Straight or Ben from Honestly Ben. It means they feel as though I see them on the inside and I understand them, and I know how powerful that can feel because I felt it when I was younger. I hope that kids who feel a bit on the outside, you know, not quite cool, perhaps a bit left of center, read my books and see that they aren't alone, that someone gets them truly, because the truth is they aren't alone. We who understand them, we who will love them for who they are, we are everywhere.
0: My great thanks to all of the authors who shared their stories with us. And thank you for listening. To learn more about the work of the authors featured in this episode, check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Is there a topic you'd like us to discuss? We'd love to hear from you. Send a note to scholasticreads at scholastic.com. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, sound engineers Daniel Jordan and Chris Johnson, and music composer... Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads with you next time.